Good afternoon to everybody, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Wednesday edition. It is good to see everyone today. We are going to have just kind of a couple different topics we're going to be covering on today's podcast or webcast, however you're watching or listening. We're going to finish up a discussion that was had last week with the guys. I wasn't able to be on last week, but it sounds like they had a good discussion about angels and what the Bible has to say about angels, what the angel's role is. And um, there were some other things that the guys wanted to share about that. And so we're going to spend some time this afternoon discussing uh, that in, in some more detail, what the Bible says about angels. Um, we'll go through a few different passages we didn't get to talk about last week. And then time permitting, uh, we're also going to talk about the use of the Old Testament and what some of the different blessings of having Old Testament study is and talk about what its purpose is. So joining us today, we've got Joe Works up in Elmira. How are you doing today, Joe? Hey, Chase. Good to have you back uh, with us uh, for this study on Wednesdays. Yeah, it's good to be back. And as always, we've got our wonderful host, Jeff Smelser, with us in Exton, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing fine, but I thought you were the wonderful host today, and we did miss you last week, by the way. Well, I appreciate that. Well, I'll be a host for the back half of the podcast. You guys can take it on the front end since I wasn't here last week. And then, uh, we, of course, we've got Drew DeGrado in the background uh, taking care of all of our technical things as well. So we're glad he's doing that for us. So uh, I'll just hand it off to you guys. Um, you all can just bring me up to speed. I, I wasn't here last week. So what, what happened last Wednesday? Well, well, we had a pretty good conversation about angels. We had a lot of, uh, of interest from the audience. We had people submitting comments and questions. And so again, we want to invite you, if you are listening to the webcast today live, please do send us your comments and questions. Uh, we were able to address a, a number of the questions uh, that we got last week. And you can send your comments to the Facebook page, or if you're watching by the Zoom app, you can use the little Q&A thing. We like those, don't we, guys, when we get input from the audience? They're very, very helpful. It, it helps us to understand maybe what we're not being clear with or what we need to explain a little bit better, as well it challenges us to think through the scriptures more closely about what we actually believe. You know, we had a question that I think must have come in either right at the end of the program or after the program last week that we didn't get to. Uh, and I meant to go back and take a look at that question again today and see if I could understand the question and maybe figure out the answer. Something about the definite article in the Hebrew text when it talks about the angel of the Lord and a number of passages from Genesis through Judges. Maybe um, there were particular passages that somebody had in mind. Uh, I, I'm not really ready to talk about that. I'm not sure I fully understand the question. I mean, I know what the definite article is, but um, I'm not sure... I, do either of you are either of you prepared to talk about that? I, I just don't know enough about Hebrew really to be able to uh, uh, make any sort of uh, informed decision on that. Not only do you have sometimes it's saying the angel, sometimes an angel. You also have God sometimes saying my angel. Other passages saying his angel. Um, uh, so I, it seems to me like the maybe texturally would be the the. The, the easier way or, or, or the, the clear way for me to make any sort of determination. Although I admit, I, I may still be mistaken in some passages. And if we kind of knew where that question was going, we might be better equipped to, to know uh, how to handle that. But uh, so maybe I'll take a, a look at that later on, but you're right. Sometimes um, you can have uh, the angel, but if you, if it says my angel and it doesn't say the, it's still specific, uh, which is a function of the definite article. But there are other things we want to talk about. We were going to talk about, uh, angels and the letters to the seven churches, right? Yes, that's where we had kind of ended off. We were did not quite uh, finish that off. 
All right, well, let's, let's take a look at that real quick. Revelation chapter one and then uh, chapters two and three. So uh, in chapter one, when John sees the Lord, where do we see angels mentioned? Uh, is verse 20 the first place? I think so. We see the seven stars mentioned back earlier. Uh, the seven stars are mentioned in verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars, but we're not told that those seven stars are angels of the seven churches until verse 20. And of course, there's the angel that's with John there in chapter one, verse one. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we do have a mention of an angel there. Yes. Um, signified by his angel unto his servant. And, and of course, one of the things that we did last week, we talked about just the basic meaning of the word translated angel. The basic meaning is what? Messenger. So you can have human angels and you can have supernatural angels. You can have human messengers and supernatural messengers, right? Yeah, absolutely. We, we see the word used both ways in the New Testament. And so then it becomes a question here in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 where it says to the angel or to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, for example, is that talking about a human messenger or is that talking about a, a supernatural being? Um, well, let's go at it this way. Uh, if I can share a screen here real quickly. So in these messages to the seven churches, uh, there's a structure. Uh, the Lord identifies himself after he, he addresses the angel of the church to the angel of the church at them. The Lord identifies himself. And then he says, I know your works and your deeds and so on. And there may be something that they've done that is commended. And then there's a, a warning that is given uh, something they need to correct in most cases. And then there is a, a statement, uh, he that hath an ear, let him hear, and then a statement about overcoming. Um, but as you look at these, the way the Lord identifies himself usually has something to do with what he says to that church or to the angel of that church. So for example, in the message to the church at Ephesus, the Lord identifies himself as the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, or most translations, I think, say lampstands. So the Lord says, I'm the one who walks in the midst of the lampstands. What does that have to do with what he says to Ephesus? The lampstands uh, or the candlesticks, th those are the seven churches. And so is that what you're going at? Well, and in verse 5, uh, when he warns them, uh, he says, I will move your candlestick out of its place if they don't repent and do the first works. Okay. Uh, and, and then in the second message to the church at Smyrna, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, and, and by the way, if there's any question, is he really addressing the church or not? There are a couple of ways to, to make clear he is, but one is, uh, back in chapter 1 and verse 11, it said, write in a book and send to the seven churches. And of course, then in each of the messages, he will sometimes, he will talk in the singular when he is addressing the whole church collectively. But other times he'll say, some of you, or you have some there, that kind of thing, making it clear he's addressing the church. Uh, the Lord identifies himself as the one who was dead and lived in chapter 2 and verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and lived again. How is that expression, was dead and lived, relevant to what he says to that church? You've got the dead and live or life mentioned again in verse 10. 
Yeah, in fact, he challenges them in verse 10, be faithful unto death. To me, I think that it's, it's, a lot, it's a lot easier to take that exhortation, be faithful even to the point that you lose your life. If that exhortation is coming from somebody who's already given his life and has overcome death and uh, been raised from the dead, if he tells me, you, you be faithful, even if it costs your life, it gives me some confidence. He has a plan. He can conquer death for me. Jeff, just to mention, I don't think that we are live on Facebook here. Um, okay, I saw it come up on Facebook. It says we're live on Facebook, but it, it, it may be a miscommunication between Zoom and yeah. Facebook. Let's see. It, it did that to me on a, previous, on a, on a different study uh, last week with Carl. Okay, hang on. Let me check. Uh, let me stop sharing and let's go. So it's, yes. So you had a situation where it's Zoom said you're yep. live on Facebook. Yeah, it's, it, it had just like up there, it said live on Facebook and we, we missed the whole day's program. We got all the way to the end. Somebody said, are you all not programming? Okay. I'm looking at us on Facebook. I'll tell you what, if you okay. are, if you are uh, watching, hey, uh, Jeff, see if you have it set to like private or something like that or, or oh okay okay uh public no it's set to only me all right <laughs> okay boomer thank you <laughs> all right okay there we go here we are or right. i see it now we're good we're 10 minutes late okay well, we've been talking, folks, for 10 minutes, uh, but, but we had the Facebook set so that it was only showing to me and not to anybody else. So, Chase, <laughs> you want, let me uh, minimize this. Um, all right. Okay, well, here's where we are. We got started uh, last week talking about angels, and we were going to pick it up and talk a little bit more about angels uh, this week, and we're going to talk specifically about the angels uh, associated with the seven churches. Anybody want to sum up what we've done so far? Brilliantly. I mean, there's some angels that, that are being used to talk to the churches in Asia. And um, I'll be honest, I've never really slowed down and thought through that before. And so we're just talking through uh, each individual church and what it is the angel needs to communicate. But part of the review last week was just noting that some, uh, sometimes angel just means messenger, a human messenger, somebody conveying something from one place to another uh, or one person to another. Sometimes it's actually what we typically think angelic beings, spiritual beings. So the suggestion is just simply that maybe in Revelation, these are actual human messengers that are taking it and not anything more than that. But, yeah, so exactly. That's the question. Are we talking about human messengers or supernatural messengers? One of the things that I think uh, mentioned last week was that <clears throat> as you go through the book of Revelation and you set aside the mention of the angels associated with seven churches, everywhere else in the book of Revelation, the word angel seems to be referring to a supernatural being. I think you mentioned that last week, didn't you, Joe? I, I think I did, because you were the one that pointed out to me about uh, four or five years ago, and I had not noticed that before. Oh, okay. All right. Well, in any event, uh, in, we, we see the angels mentioned in chapter 1 and verse 20 as being represented by the seven stars that are in the Lord's hand. And the Lord tells John to write to the seven churches, and here's what he's to write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, chapter 2. And then 
the message starts off with the Lord identifying himself. How does the Lord identify himself in the message to the angel of the church at Ephesus? Holding the seven stars and walking in the lampstands. Yeah, walking amidst the lampstands um, is the part that's going to be relevant here. Let me get back to the screen that I need and let's bring this um, back here. All right, let me get back to where I can share my screen. You'd think as long as we've been doing this, we'd have this down so that we never had any issues, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that? You, you would, except for where it also just means that we're older. <laughs> so to the, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, which really hey, is a message uh, to the church. Ed, go ahead, Chase. Well, we've got a good question that came in uh, okay. via the Zoom app. Why, why would John be asked to write to angelic beings to begin with? Like, why, why would God go through an angel or sorry, why would he go through John to then communicate up to an angelic being, uh, being if it really wasn't? That's a really good question. <clears throat> and I think the thing to do is, first of all, see where the evidence points us, whether it points to human messengers or to supernatural beings. And once we see that, that question may or may not be a moot point. I mean, it might be, it's irrelevant. If we look at it, we see, no, these are human messengers. Uh, then it's, it's, you know, we, we don't need to go down that road. On the other hand, if we look at it and we see, no, these are supernatural beings, then that's a question we need to ask, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so we'll try to come back to that in a few minutes. So the Lord identifies himself as the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, or as the translation I'm quoting here says, candlesticks. And how does that relate what, to what the Lord says to the church at Ephesus? Verse five, he's threatening to remove the candlestick out of the way. Yeah. Then how does he identify himself when he writes to the angel of the church at Smyrna? He's dead and came back to life. Yeah, I was dead and lived. And then when he writes to them in verse 10, he says, be thou faithful unto death. And it's a lot easier to take that kind of admonition. You be faithful, even if it costs you your life. If the one giving you that admonition has given his life and conquered death and says he can provide you victory over death. Uh, how about to the church at Pergamum? How does he identify himself? The one who has a sharp two-edged sword. Yeah. What does that have to do with what he says to the church at Pergamum? Fight against them with the sword of his mouth. In yeah, verse down in verse 16. 16. Right. Okay. Um, how does he identify himself to the church at Thyatira? Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet are like burnished bronze. Yeah, and it's especially this phrase, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And this is not the clearest connection, but he does say down in verse 23, all the churches shall know that I am he that searches the reins and the hearts. You may have a more modern translation that says something like hearts and minds or something like that. Reins is an old word for kidneys. But basically... <laughs> He's talking about, I can, I can search within you. I can see your thoughts. I can see your emotions, your feelings. Um, think of eyes like a flame of fire. And I always think of laser man, um, laser man, Superman in his laser eye, eye vision. Maybe also connect the feet like fine brass with verse 27 uh, of uh, ruling and then breaking to pieces the potter's vessel. Sure. Now, the, the next one is that we're going we're gonna to skip Laodicea for the moment. To the church at, uh, and we're going to skip Smyrna. We're not skipping Laodicea. We're skipping Sardis. Hang on, I'll get it right. Let me start over. We're going to skip Sardis for the moment. 
And uh, how does the Lord identify himself to the church of Philadelphia? Well, I'll just put it on the screen. Key, key of David, shutting and, shut, shutting and opening. And how does, how does that relate to what he says to the church at Philadelphia? Is it, is it down in verse 12? He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out of it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of the heaven from my God and my new name. I think there's a stronger connection, uh, and, and I can't spot the verse here. Verse 8. Thank you. Verse eight. Uh, behold, oh, with the door, a door opened, which none can shut. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So there's a pattern here. Um, the Lord identifies himself in a certain way and in a different way, he doesn't identify him the same way himself, sure. the same way in any two letters. It's unique to each letter. And then there's a pattern. He, however he identifies himself has something to do with what he says to that church. It's hard to make that connection for Laodicea. What he says to Laodicea, he identifies himself as the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Uh, do you see anything in the message to Laodicea that seems to be directly connected to that? Uh, I think you're right that it's not nearly as obvious. I think verse 16, the idea of them being lukewarm, mm -hmm. uh, fits into that they are not being faithful and true. It's, okay. it's not nearly as clear as mm -hmm. the but then we come to, to the one that's going to help us identify these angels. Uh, to the church at Sardis, in chapter 3 and verse 1, he identifies himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The one who has the seven stars. Well, we saw him holding the seven stars in his hand in chapter 1, right? And then in chapter 1, verse 20, we're told those seven stars are the what? The angels. The angels of the churches. What does it have to do with his message to the church at Sardis if he says, I am the one that has the seven stars? And I think if we come down in the text to verse uh, 5, in the latter part of the verse, I will no wise blot his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The seven stars are the seven angels. I will confess his name before his angels. Now, when we think about Jesus confessing our names before the angels, I think we naturally understand that to be supernatural messengers, and we have precedent for that in the Bible. Where There's a passage in the Bible that talks about that, right? That's where you're supposed to jump in and say, yes, it's in Luke. Yes, it's in Luke. And, and then the other one of you is supposed to say, yes, chapter 12. Uh, I, I'll say chapter 12. I gotcha. I, I would probably suggest about verses 8 and 9, maybe. Okay, you're right. It is chapter 12, uh, verse 8 and 9. I, I say unto you, every man who shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. He that denies me in the presence of men shall be not denied in the presence of the angels of God. We understand that clearly to be supernatural beings. Yeah, sure. Well, if that's the case, I think we would understand Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5 to be referring to supernatural beings when he says, I will confess his name before his angels. But if there's a connection between the letter and how the Lord identified himself, the Lord identified himself as the one who has the seven stars, which are the angels 
of churches. So if that's connected with this, you'd think that has to do with supernatural angels. So that leads to this question before we get to the question from our viewer. And by the way, viewers, please do be sending your questions in. We'll get to them. Um, do we ever see in the Bible a precedent for understanding angels to have particular responsibility for this group or that group or this entity or this group of people, this body of people, anything like that? Is this where I'm supposed to say Matthew 18? Uh, you could. Uh, you could. Matthew 18 really talks about individuals, I think, and right. we get into the whole guardian angel thing. Did we talk about that last week? I don't think we did. Well, go ahead. Take us to Matthew 18 then. Uh, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see my, the face of my Father who is in heaven. It, does that necessarily mean that each one of us has one unique angel who's sitting on our shoulder? Uh, nothing at all about shoulders being suggested <laughs> or, or having individual angels. But does it, does it indicate that angels do have some kind of responsibility or associated with us in some way, uh, connected with us in some way? Absolutely. But stepping away from you individually and me individually, I think we see in the Old Testament, and if we get to it, we're going to talk about the Old Testament, its purpose, and how it's useful to us today. I think we see in the Old Testament a picture of angels, uh, a given angel, being associated with a group uh, of some sort. Daniel? Uh, Daniel, yeah. What do we have in Daniel? Daniel 10. Angels of different nations and in, in reference to different nations. Exactly. Uh, there's Michael, who is described as your angel, uh, uh, talking to Daniel. But when it says your angel, it doesn't just mean Daniel's angel. This is in uh, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 21. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth, yet there's no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael. Is actually, I, I quoted it wrong. I said your angel. It says your prince. But the word your there is plural, meaning he's not just saying Daniel's prince, but apparently Israel's prince. But who is Michael in, in this passage? Clearly an angel. Clearly an angel. But Michael is helping the supernatural being or the angelic being who's been speaking with Daniel. Um, but there's somebody who's been opposing him. Who's been opposing him? The prince of Persia? Yeah. And so if Michael is the prince of Israel, and he's Michael the archangel, say, for example, he's an angel, a supernatural being, then the prince of Persia would apparently also be some supernatural being. And uh, not only is the prince of Persia mentioned, but as we come down into Daniel chapter 10 in verse 20, who's on the horizon? Who's about to come? Greece. And of course, we know that the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel lived during the Babylonian Empire and then into the beginning of the Persian Empire. And, uh, and Daniel has a good bit to say about the world empire, starting with Babylon and then Medo-Persia and then Greece and then Rome. In fact, in Daniel 8, uh, he sees a vision in which Persia, the kings of per Persia and Media, and Greece are named by name, not just, in, not just uh, in symbolically, but named by name. And as Daniel foresees, or as God shows Daniel what's coming in the future, 
one nation rising up against the, the other nation and bringing it down and supplanting it and so on. In Daniel 10, it seems that we see kind of the heavenly picture of angelic beings associated with these nations. If there can be an angel associated with the nation of Israel, is it surprising there could be an angel associated with the church at Ephesus or an angel associated with the church at uh, Smyrna? And if that's so, uh, might we suppose that there could be an angel associated with the church in Harrisburg or an angel associated with the church in Elmira? What do you think? Pretty sobering, uh, I, I think a very reasonable conclusion to draw. But then we come back to the question a viewer asked, if these are supernatural beings, why would the Lord tell a man, John, to write a letter to a supernatural being? That was kind of the question, was it, Chase? Yeah, that's the question we got here on Zoom, yeah. Okay, so I have some thoughts about that, but before I blather on, maybe I'll give you guys an opportunity. Uh, I like your blathering. Um, the, uh, to me, I think the, the one point that we ought to make sure that we get is that the letters, the ultimate destination, the letters to the churches, Right. Uh, that's who the message is to be given to. But the angel, it seems, is being informed of these things. Right. Uh, surely that would affect maybe what God expects of him even. Right, in right. The spiritual realm. Yeah. Let's, let's take, for example, the message to the angel of the church at Smyrna in verse 8. Um, of chapter two, these things says the first and the last who was dead and lived again. I know thy tribulation. So your tribulation and that's singular, um, but it's collective. It, it could just be, he's talking to the angel, the angel's tribulation, or it could be collective. He's talking about the tribulation of the people at Smyrna. And I believe that's the case, but we continue thy poverty, but thou art rich and the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and they are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Fear not the things which you, singular, are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you. So when he needs to distinguish between what's going to happen to some of them and others of them, now instead of using the collective singular, you singular, thou, he, he says some of you plural. So I think it becomes very clear Though it's addressed to the angel of the church at Smyrna, it is a message to the church at Smyrna. There is an angel who is responsible for this church, and so it's thus addressed. But back in chapter 1 and verse 11, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. So they, I think you're right, Joe. The messages are to the churches. So not meaning to muddy the water. I hope that I don't. But keeping in mind that verses 1 through 7 is to the church in Ephesus, uh, think about the first letter that they received, uh, the one from Paul. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, over and over throughout that letter, he'll say things like in chapter 6 and verse 10, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That kind of language is scattered throughout the book of Ephesians. Uh, understanding that our battle is a spiritual battle would it be surprising that God doesn't give us spiritual forces to aid us, to assist us? I, I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, too often um, we, we, we live in the flesh and we live in a physical world and we just see, see things in physical terms and we fail to see there is a spiritual reality behind the physical things that we see. Over in Revelation 12, there's the conflict on earth as 
the son is born to the people of Israel, represented by the woman, and he comes into the world and then he's caught up to God and, and the dragon was waiting to devour him. And, and what you see there is kind of a, just a very short version, an abridged version of, of what we see in the Gospels. Jesus is born, he lives his life, he dies, buried, raised in the sense of the Father. But then starting in chapter 12, and I think it's about verse 7, uh, you see the spiritual side of that conflict. Michael and his angels warring against the devil and his angels. And as the son is caught up to, to God, the devil is cast down. I think that if we can learn to see the, the conflicts that we experience in a physical way in this life as a reflection of a spiritual conflict, then when somebody does something mean to me, rather than me just seeing it as a conflict here on earth, I need to see that as, you know what, here's an opportunity where I have a chance to, to take a stand on the side of God and, and behave in a correct way, because this is a spiritual battle. It's not just an earthly thing. I don't think I said that very well. All right. Go ahead, Chase. Uh, well, we got a question in a second, and um, we'll, we'll address that next. I just wanted to say, as I hear you guys talk about this, I think one of the challenging things about any study like this is that sometimes we come out on the other end of it with more questions than answers. And so sometimes it can be really challenging, I think, to approach subjects like this. Um, so I'm hearing what you all are saying, and I'm very encouraged by that. Uh, I appreciate you all sharing that. But it is it is one of those things where we have to trust God and his word and trust that he's given us, given us enough that we need to be able to obey and to be faithful. And uh, we'll just have to settle with not knowing all of the answers and all the ins and outs, uh, basically. No. So I don't know if that's directly related, but it's just something that's been. Well, it, it is because, you know, in Hebrews one, we talked about last week, angels are ministering spirits sent forth to do service for the sake of those who shall inherit salvation. How do they do that? Uh, when do they do that? Uh, exactly. What do they do? I don't know the particulars. I, the, 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 the fact that is stated there that they do service on our behalf. I get that. But as you said, then that leads to a whole bunch of other questions and I'm not given the answers, at least at least I'm not aware of what the answers are to all of those questions. And maybe this is just a good reminder that we are the children of God. As parents, we think about, particularly when our children are younger, we give some instructions, some prohibitions, some limitations. They don't understand everything about it. They may understand every word of that sentence, but they may not, uh, that, that rule or whatever, but they don't necessarily grasp why is that and what's the full ramifications of don't play in the street, don't go near that cliff or whatever. They understand those words, um, uh, but they, they may not understand all the whys behind it. I kind of feel like that's where I'm at with uh, a lot of this dealing with the spiritual realm. I'm, I'm a little child here, and my father has said, these are things that are going on. You need to be careful. You need to be aware. And so I trust my father uh, mm -hmm. in regards. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that should at all eliminate study and trying to grasp more but I am the child in this relationship that has great limitations. Yep. Yes, amen. And, and what has been revealed to us gives us a lot of comfort, and we can be thankful for the, for the information we have. So we do have a question. Is there a point when a church is dead uh, and God takes away his presence? And I think that probably arises out of what is said to the uh, church at Ephesus, right? Or maybe yeah, when he says, I'm going to remove your candlestick from you. Yeah, either that or it could be, arise out of what's said to the church at Laodicea, I'll spew you out of my mouth. 
uh, I get, and maybe you guys can fine tune this or even correct it, but it seems to me that the idea of a lampstand uh, being present or being removed represents the idea of the standing that church has before God. It is either a church of God or it is not. Um, and the Lord makes that determination. Um, the church at Ephesus had some challenges and they needed to do better about some things. The church at Laodicea certainly was being given a stern warning. Uh, if the Lord says, I'll remove your lampstand, it kind of sounds like to me, he's saying, your status is one of my churches. Would that be a proper way to think? Absolutely. I think so. You see that with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, right? Uh, there were generations where they ceased being God's people. Uh, Hosea uh, comes to my mind. Well, and, and when we get to New Testament times, of course, in Romans, the 11th chapter, uh, you see the indication that, well, here's the question. Paul says, did God cast off his people? Now, he says, God forbid, but the reason he can say God didn't cast off his people is because those of Israel who are of the faith of Abraham are God's people. But if they're not, their branch is broken off. Um, so, yeah, you can be God's people and, and no longer be God's people. So I think you, you could have a church that was one of God's churches and is no longer. Yeah, when they, when they stop walking by faith and keep walking by sight, I mean, that's clearly going against what God's will was for his people from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know that we're ever in a position to, uh, from a human standpoint, identify the date on the calendar when that happens. Um, sure. But... All right. Well, is that enough about angels? Do we have any outstanding uh, questions about that? Did y'all talk about the uh, tongue of angels or the um, because of the angels stuff last week? Or did you avoid it? We Did we ever get a question about because of the angels in 1 Corinthians 11? Did we get that question we, last week? We quickly tied it in. Uh, I, I think it's relevant with my position on Genesis 6. Um, oh, yeah. But... Uh, uh, we, we didn't really go into any greater detail. Uh, I don't know what it would be if it's not tied together with uh, angels being tempted um, uh, by uh, women who refuse subjection. Um, well, I think you also connected it to Jude uh, yes. altogether, right? And yeah, yeah, that was the main text. It was just sort of a sidebar, uh, in 1 Corinthians. So, so just so people know what we're talking about, in Jude uh, verse 6, angels that kept not their own principality but left their proper habitation, he's kept in everlasting bonds under darkness under the judgment of the great day. And you are making the case that that is a reference to the angels in Genesis 6 or, or the sons of God in Genesis 6, and you were, you were making the case that those were angels who uh, cohabited with human women, I think, by representing that accurately. Yep, yep. And... and um, and I didn't necessarily go that same route, but I think that I would agree that whatever these angels are guilty of in Jude 6 that amounts to not keeping their own principality uh, and leaving their proper habitation would could be the explanation for the statement in, in 1 Corinthians 11 because of the angels. Because Paul is, after all, talking to women about conducting themselves in a way that is commensurate with their role. Um, and so if he's saying, um, you know, there are angels who 
failed to behave in a manner commensurate with the role God had assigned to them, and they are punished, well, that's a message to you to, to not be guilty of the same thing. However, that was manifested, whether it's in terms of Genesis 6 or not. Right. All right, uh, Chase, do you want to, we've got a few minutes. Do we, have a, do we have enough time left to start into the topic of the Old Testament or not? Do you want to save that for another time? There are other things we can talk about, angels, if you'd rather do that, given that we have a short window of time. Yeah, if you guys got anything else you want to talk about in regard to angels, why don't we go ahead and do that? We'll just save this one for another day. Okay. So, so somebody had referenced Psalm 91 um, of uh, God providing refuge and protection uh, for us uh, using angels to do that. Um, I'm looking for exactly what verse they might have been mentioning. I'm at a little bit of a loss here. Um, oh, verse 11. He shall give his angels charge, of course. He shall give his angels charge over you. Uh, yeah, Satan quotes that in Matthew 4, does he not? Right. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so the idea of, of God having this uh, protection for us, Satan, of course, completely misusing the principle here. Yeah. yeah. And he's off the, the back half of that verse as well. Yeah. But how about if we just go ahead and read some of that section there, maybe picking up in verse 9. Uh, good for me at least to kind of renew the, the thought behind it because you have made the Lord who is my refuge even the most high your habitation no evil shall befall you nor shall any plague come near your dwelling for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways they shall bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. I'm not sure, you know, you see verse 11 quoted in Matthew chapter 4. Um, Satan uses this passage. I'm not sure I had ever taken a moment to think about the fact that this passage really doesn't seem to be limited to God's use of angels on Jesus' behalf, but it really sounds more um, in keeping with what we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, about angels doing oh, for those who shall inherit salvation. Absolutely. God's faithful will be taken care of. I mean, is it, yeah, it's back in verse 3, you learn that the, the, the thing that the psalmist is concerned about is this deadly pestilence that's going throughout the land. Mm -hmm. And he is talking about God and his angels taking care of his faithful people. Um, and so I think it's definitely not limited only to the king or limited to Jesus, but it's all of God's people that the angels are looking out for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there, are there evil angels? I would suggest that there are from the Ephesians passage. Yep. Yep. Would you call those angels would, in, as in the sense of messengers or would you just you know, they, uh, how about Matthew 25, in, in the devil and his angels? Okay, yeah, that sounds more airtight. Um, <laughs> so, and, and, I, and I may be putting two passages together that aren't necessarily together, but they seem logical in my mind, which, of course, I need to leave that thought there then. But, but that interchange you guys just had illustrates a point. Um, uh, 
uh, you, Joe, referred to uh, spiritual beings mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, and I think it's about verse 10, and doesn't use the word angels, and so Chase, you said, are those angels? And I think what that illustrates is we often think of angels not so much in the particular sense of uh, messengers. We often think of angels as just kind of a catch-all term for spiritual beings. Right. Whether that's whether all spiritual beings should be referred to as angels or not, I don't. I don't know. But certainly, I think you're right that Ephesians chapter six verse ten. It's especially evil supernatural forces beings that are in view. And then I think the point from Matthew chapter 25, that the, 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 the lake of fire is prepared for the devil and his angels makes it clear that there are evil angels. Well, we had the passage in Jude 6, right? Those are disobedient yes. angels. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and maybe just to make a little bit of a distinction, I don't think that every spiritual being is an angel. Revelation 5 uh, makes some distinction between... Uh, uh, the four living creatures and the angels yep. and as we watch that uh, that chorus begin to break out and get larger and larger um, there seems to be some distinction there maybe cherubim seraphim angels um, all different spiritual beings that are used Ezekiel 1 through 10 as well and on the other hand there there does seem to be a ranking of some sort amongst yep whatever angels are, because you have Michael referred to as the archangel, right? Yes. Break down what that word arc means, Jeff, for me. So arc is uh, a word that means chief or ruler. Um, arche, ruler, chief. And so right. you can have a, a, a high priest or chief priest can be referred to using that word or an angel. So an archangel. So it would seem Patriarch. to be Patriarch, yes, yeah, that's a, that's a good connection. Yeah, Thank you. good, good, Joe. Maybe you can circle back and answer our Hebrew question now, Joe, that you made that connection. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, yeah, we're I, almost out of time, or I would. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, sorry, sorry to the person who asked that question. I meant to go back and look at that and see if I could figure that out. Um, all right, well, we're, we really are just about out of time, guys. Uh, we're probably a little bit early, but maybe we can take a minute here just to remind people of where the various congregations with which we work meet. Um, the church here at Exton is meeting on Sundays. We've been meeting, uh, we met all through the month of May and so far all through the month of June outdoors. And um, we are usually, uh, well, we were meeting at one o'clock in the afternoon, but as the weather's getting warmer outdoors, this past Sunday, we moved it up earlier to 1030. However, because we're outdoors, if there's rain coming, we may have to make adjustments. So be sure and check our website if you're in the area and you'd like to visit with us. How about you guys? Uh, we, we've been meeting in a few different places. And so uh, if anybody is going to be, if you're in our area now, or if you're going to be traveling to our area, uh, I might just suggest that you reach out, uh, contact me. Uh, if you don't have my phone number or whatever, my email address is right here on the screen. Uh, little preacher Joe at AOL.com. So, uh, you know, I, I can let you know where we will be um, at the time that you, you're going to be coming through. And Chase? Uh, yeah, the church in Harrisburg is currently meeting outdoors. Uh, we met in our backyard actually just this last week. And, uh, but we also have a parking garage that we sometimes will go to if it's raining. And it's just been kind of bouncing back and forth. So, if anyone has, has, uh, 
interested in that, they can reach out to me at cdcd, as in dog, buyers, B-Y-E-R-S, 33 at yahoo.com. And Drew DeGrotta, who's in the background, uh, the church he works with is in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And you can write to Drew at BibleQuest.tv and, uh, or Drew DeGrotto. Drew, hey, can you step in here real quick and tell us how people get in touch with you? Maybe not. But I think if you go to BibleQuest, you can get a message. I can. It's uh, Drew at uh, ChristiansInHonesdale.com. Okay, there we go. All right, is that it, guys? It works for me. All right. Thank you all. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see you next week.